Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel, we have Sasha Wolf, me, and that's it. Alan might pop in later. We'll see about that. But we, of course, have a special guest, so it's not just a monologue. And our special guest this week is Miguel Coba. And Miguel, why don't you tell people why you're on the show and what you have to tell us today? Okay, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, I am Miguel Coba. I am Mexican, but I live in Barcelona. Uh, I have been living here for the la last five years, and uh, well, I am a fan of uh, functional programming languages. I have been doing Elm and Elixir for the last five years, I think. Also a lot of uh, JavaScript and other things, but uh, I prefer uh, pro uh, functional programming language, so it's something I I like a lot. And uh, this last year, because I was kind of bored, I started writing again uh, in my blog about Elixir and, and uh, a new topic that I found very interesting. So I started writing a series of articles, and in the middle of this writing uh, sprint, I, it occurred to me that maybe I could write a book with those uh, with those articles, a compilation of those. So I, I created a book and I opened it uh, on Road account and published my book. And I feel very, very good because now I am also a published author. <laughs> That's something I never thought that I could say <laughs> from myself. So it is cool. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, Right. So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, it must feel nice. It's like that's like one thing on my bucket list, like writing a book. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> those, those things that you never think that you are going to do, and suddenly you are. <laughs> yeah. Do you also have like a print version of your book? So you have like this physical thing, or is it only digital? I, I was thinking of using these print-on-demand services and just send my PDF and, and just print one single copy for me and dedicate it to me. Hey, this is for you, my lovely <laughs> fan number one. So. That, so that I have it in in physical form. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, exactly. Can you actually put it in the in the in your, like a bookshelf and point at yeah, it? Yeah, Look at exactly. this, I made this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, uh, alongside the I don't know the the, the classics of uh, computer programming, or, I don't know, C programming, or book, or uh, the Wizard book, or things like that. To be in good company. Yeah, nice. So uh, this book then, and like your articles by extension, they are about like deploying Elixir to various platforms out there, right? Yeah, correct. So and like one thing I think is interesting, especially for people who maybe are more new to Elixir, is that Elixir has gone quite through a transformation in how it 
gets deployed. And for, for those of you like who, who maybe don't know that, that like in the past, there was no mix release command. That thing didn't exist. There were a bunch of libraries which did that. You had to like install distillery being one among them. Distillery, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And especially like yeah, it was, configuration. It was complicated. It was complicated. It's not, uh, it was not quite easy. And uh, even if you could do it uh, locally, there also the complication that not many services existed to host uh, your your application. Uh, for example, to host Ruby on Rails application, it was everywhere from Heroku to any other platform. Everyone uh, could host it, or for Python, or for PHP. Uh, you can I don't know pick between 100 options, but for Elixir we didn't have options, so it were it, uh, it was uh, two problems at the same time. And yeah, it was uh, complicated to do the configuration in code on uh, because you have to rely a lot on Erlang in the Erlang uh, architecture. That for us that uh, arrived to Elixir went through Erlang. Erlang is hard to read or, or complicated, very. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, very succinct code, but uh, it's not quite expressive, uh, at least for me, because uh, I don't have much experience with Erlang. But uh, just uh, having to modify Erlang files to configure your your release uh, in production, it was hard. So it has progressed a lot, uh, a lot of improvements uh, so far. At the beginning, as you say, the libraries helped a lot. Uh, the distillery was the most famous one because it could uh, provide these uh, benefits of the Beam uh, virtual machine, like the hot code uh, reload, hot module uh, replacement. But still, it was hard uh, to do it. Uh, I don't know, uh, at least for me, uh, I don't know if it's bad luck or good luck, but I have never had to use a hot option. I have never worked on the telecommunications uh, sector where maybe you have to have uh, the five nines uh, of time. So we can just stop and restart the application with any version and that's enough. So uh, just deploying uh, using the, the available commands in, in, in at that time, it was enough. But, but it was not a cool situation. Uh, you have to, 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 I don't know, go to the internet and read a lot of things just to set up your environment to be ready for production. And if you wanted to maybe have a staging uh, environment and a production environment and a sandbox or some other environment, it was hard to, to do that because you have to replicate manually all that. So now it is very easy. Uh, in comparison with uh, before, we can now deploy a containerized uh, application using Docker, for example, and, and then use Kubernetes or something like that. But the essential thing is that the steps that uh, are required to generate a bundle ready for production are very, very, uh, very few compared to, to two years ago. So, uh, and now that uh, from version, I think, uh, Elixir 1 and 9, uh, they introduced the Elixir releases that now those natively, uh, what the distillery uh, library did before, now this is quite easy because you don't have uh, to install any uh, dependency. It is part of the install of the default uh, project and, and it is quite easy. So, it is, it is very good uh, right now. It's very easy. So, right now in I don't know what, uh, 15 minutes, you can have your project uh, adapted and configured to be ready to deploy in any of these providers. 
service providers where, where you can put your application in production. So it's it's quite good right now. So it has evolved a lot over the time. And also I feel like, especially with the introduction of the, it was used to be like the releases config file. Now it's just the runtime config file. That was like one major step towards making this a lot easier because then you could actually in that file say, hey, let's load some environment variables, which previously will always happen at compile time, which all the other configuration files. So that was like a really, really big thing. I still remember when that had landed, it was like, oh my God, things just became so much easier. <laughs> exactly. This change from a releases EXS to a runtime EXS is also amazing because uh, before that, it was also hard to, to do things that were easy. For example, in, in Node, uh, you can just set your environment variables and, and they will work. You can configure the same code to work in five different environments and no matter what, and trigger the, the behavior uh, changes you're using environment variables. But in Elixir, they also had a, a change on the way you read uh, environment variables. And that was also hard because uh, there was a point where you can search, uh, search for it on the internet and you find the old way of uh, reading environment variables and the new way. And it was super different, and depending on which version were you using, uh, one won't even work. And uh, then you had to set some flags, some uh, replace bars or replacing bars, something. And it was crazy, just, uh, just hitting walls and walls and walls. And now it's super easy. And, and with this runtime EXS file where you can put things for when it is running, it's amazing because uh, it's like it should have been from, from the very beginning. So it's quite easy to... To, config, uh, to, to build a generic application that can adapt to the environment where you are deploying it. So it's quite quite good right now. And like maybe one thing out there for people who not yet that into Elixir, technically like with all this, what we're talking about, like releases and stuff, if you want to get started quickly, you don't really need to go down that route, right? Is that something which you also go into in your book where you say, I mean, Nothing could stop you to have like a Docker file, and at the end of a Docker file, you say mix Phoenix serve, right? Or server. I always forget if it's serve or server. Yeah, there is. Uh, there are like levels uh, you can you can achieve in how professional you want to feel by deploying your app because. To the end users, it works and that's it. They don't know if you use a mix uh, ph server or you are uh, using releases or you are using Docker or you are deploying to bare bones uh, metal no they don't care it works totally the same but for us as developers it's like a kind of a batch to say oh i did it using the the latest and, and greatest uh, tools so uh, in the in the articles i i start by the simple thing just a very simple application just to have something to try the different uh, options to deploy. And then I use a mixed pH server uh, with environment variables just to run it and it works. Uh, and there are a lot of businesses that work that way and they are earning money and paying salaries and, and paying, uh, generating value. And that's a completely uh, valid way of deploying this. There is no shame on that. The thing is that it works. So that's, that's cool. But if you, as a developer, 
just want to do it the cool way and, and say, hey, I am using this. Okay, there I, I show another uh, option. So the next one that I show is, okay, let's move from the mixed tools, the mixed uh, tasks that are that were used uh, traditionally to, to deploy. Now let's move to the, the cool thing that uh, Elixir includes at this Elixir releases. And this, what it does is to uh, strips uh, everything that is not needed so that the bundle, the resulting executable, the resulting bundle is very small. So this helps, for example, if you don't want to have much downtime when you are upgrading your application. So for the cases where the business required you only have maybe one, two seconds of downtime, that's a perfect solution because it starts super fast because it only has what it is absolutely needed there is no compilation at the deployment uh, server there is, everything is ready to just be started it's like a car that has the tank full the keys put and you just need to start driving it no no need to do anything so that's uh, the uh, the other way that i show uh, using elixir releases and it is quite easy it's just using the the tools that are already bundled in, in elixir and then i progress to, to the next step that okay maybe let's do the content containerized path uh, so docker is docker is the the main uh, player here so well i show how to uh, how to write a, a Docker file that does what we uh, did uh, manually, uh, one command at a time, but now inside a container, uh, inside an image. So with this, we can deploy to a lot of places. And this opens the the, the landscape to a lot of uh, pro, uh, service providers that uh, right now, almost every uh, ser uh, platform as a service or, or hosting uh, deployment uh, provider has support for Docker. So we can deploy to Heroku, DigitalOcean, uh, Fly.io, uh, what else, uh, Render, for example. And you can just take the code that you have and, and deploy it. So that's uh, the next way. And for uh, from this, you can go even uh, further. Maybe you can uh, leverage Kubernetes if you are deploying to a, a super huge uh, farm of uh, servers or uh, instances that uh, need to provide a lot of uh, scalability well the, this is the, the the next step i don't cover this one in the in the in the articles i just uh, stop on the uh, docker uh, step and, and how to deploy to different service providers but i have in, in plans a second a second edition of this book with a uh, new ways to deploy and uh, because people after after deploying after uh, releasing and publishing this book that i wrote people approach it to me and say hey why don't you also write about this uh, for example like uh, azure or uh, aws uh, aws deploying on bare metal or uh, some virtual private uh, server that i i have full control and I want to deploy it here. And also one uh, person uh, asked, hey, what about scaling this to uh, Kubernetes so that you can have a, a swarm of uh, instances? Hey, that will be cool. Uh, it looks like there is a, an interest in, in those topics, uh, not, not the uh, kind of simple ones that I already wrote about. So uh, I think there is uh, still some very interesting topics to write about, but uh, that's something for the, this next year. I, I, I put, I am putting that as my New Year uh, resolutions. Uh, that will be the second edition of the, of the book.
Early here, for, first for like 2022, we get a second revision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. how to do it in Kubernetes. Exactly. I'm actually curious because I, I haven't like read your book to be honest. Like I've I've read for your articles, but do you also talk about clustering and all that kind of stuff? Because that's also something you you then can do. For example, can also do in Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't talk about about all, all this. Uh, started one day. I say, okay, I want to write something. Uh, what will be good? Uh, so I say, okay, let's write about uh, deploying Elixir. So I started. My my initial goal was to write a post, a blog post about uh, deploying to Giga Elixir because that was the one that I knew the most because it's the one I was using for one side project I have. So I say, okay, I'm going to put it on on writing and and sharing it. But then I started looking, okay, now there is render, now there is Fly.io, and I started looking at those, and were super cool because they had um, a lot of features about uh, deploying to different uh, regions and, and uh, deploying to the edge of the network, so it's super fast, and I say, wow, this didn't exist uh, before. So I started like expanding the scope of this and started writing uh, about those topics, but no, uh, I never got to to dig even more because it is a huge world, uh, a lot of things, uh, and a lot of uh, very uh, intelligent people, very smart people have written about it before. So I am just, what I'm doing is just writing about what I am learning at the time because I know that some other people are, is also in the same phase that me, uh, in the same uh, knowledge uh, step in this sector. So uh, I, I know that they can benefit from it. So I write it as I am learning it and push it. Because something happens that once you learn something and pass much time with that, it stops being like interesting. You're starting, oh yeah, that's very obvious. Uh, there is no need to write it because everybody should already know it. So you start like uh, losing this, uh, I don't know, the, the newness of the thing makes you think that it is super easy because for you it is, but there are other people that are also learning and, and you forget about them. So I prefer to write it as I know it, even if it's not the most, I don't know, the perfect solution or the most advanced solution, because I know that it's not, I am just learning. I am, I, I didn't create a language, I didn't create a framework. Uh, and when I see the code of the people that create those, I say, wow, I could never be that way. I am super small compared to that. But, but at least these things that I learn and share, that's something that I can do and I like to do it. So I, I know that uh, people benefits from that and the feedback I received after publishing these articles and the book confirms that uh, there is uh, a lot of people that is learning. So that for me is enough. And uh, I will try to write about the, the advanced topics, but I am not an expert. I am sharing what I what I am learning at the time. So and sometimes I I use my own articles, my own old articles because I forget. And I say, how did I do it? I go read back, oh, okay. And I use it as a reference. So for me, it's it's good uh, for me, for my future me, and for other people that is learning. So at some point, I will write about some more advanced topics uh, as I learn, because I need to also first learn it to, to write it. And I will include this uh, clustering and, and, and things like that. And, and the good thing is that, uh, for example, uh, fly.io and render, you can deploy one or some instances in one region, some instances in other regions, 
And if you are using clustering, uh, the, the, the lib clustering uh, library, you can connect them even if they are not on the same region. So they can start have a uh, scalability all over the world. And that's wow, I am doing this in my in my computer here in my in my couch, uh, controlling two servers, one in US and the other in Europe. And, and that's cool. And it's super easy, super easy right now. And uh, also super cheap. You don't need a lot of uh, money if you are, uh, for example, a startup that is uh, starting and are using uh, Elixir for the project. You really don't need a lot of money to have a super scalable and high availability setup with Elixir because uh, also Elixir uses very few resources. The CPU is super super small, I don't know, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5
published that they were uh, uh, the Black Friday in numbers, uh, the performance number for their, their monolith, and they are using rails. And it is a monolith, and, and see, rails just scales. Uh, and it always was the, the, the people always made a fun of rails because it didn't scale. Ah, oh, let's move to another faster language because rails sucks and it's slow and it uses a lot of resources. Huh? And Shopify says, yeah, we use it and it's okay. Yeah, okay. If you need to scale it, you will do it. And a lot of companies are trying to build architectures that are capable of hundreds and millions of requests per second, and they don't have that kind of user. So it's not really... And, and most of the startups serve a markets or very niche markets. So they also don't have so much users or, or available users in, in the world. So there is, maybe they will never need anything more complex than just a mix a PHX server in a instance in DigitalOcean, and that's it. They will be winning a lot of money, earning a lot of money with that simple setup and, and that's it. No, 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 not everyone needs to be aiming for the, I don't know, the, the replica of Netflix and microservices or architecture. So I like uh, a lot what it is possible to do, but I also don't like how people obsess with this, trying to do the, the, the hardest thing uh, for solving simple things, <laughs> simple problems. Yeah, I agree. It is certainly like a, like a thing which happens a lot in software. Yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out. And, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. And so I think it's very valuable to have this, this resource and this book of yours and which also tell, tells and teaches people like how simple it can be to, to reach for these air quotes easier or like maybe not as, as, as high tech systems, right? And at the end of the day, digital ocean is just a run of a mill virtual server, I guess. And, but that works too, right? Like it does, it does the job and it probably will do the job much better than you expect. Yeah, correct, correct. I just want to play the devil's advocate over here, right? So as somebody who used to do a lot of deployments to like bare metal, I tend to actually go straight for a Kubernetes. Uh, like it's not for scale, but just for like simplicity, right? I have my YAML file, I just apply it, I go, right? If I can build a container, which I kind of have like my master Docker file that I just kind of just change a couple of variables here and there because like, you know, every single application has its own name, right? So you just change a couple of things here and there. You got your YAML files. You just change that here and there. Apply, 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 and you're ready to go. There's been quite a few times where like I chose, okay, maybe this EC2 instance is not as good as this other one because actually mine has a little bit of uh, computation power. Okay, so then destroy that cluster and then start up a new one and then it just kind of goes, right? Like that's, I think is uh, is the great part about Kubernetes. Like going back to bare metal, I, I, I actually, I still deploy the bare metal right now uh, for a client, but let's not forget, like there's a lot of hassle, like have to install Elixir, install Erlang, install uh, OpenSSL. I've had quite a few issues with OpenSSL recently, mm -hmm. like on my Macs. 
it's kind of painful, right? Doing all this stuff. So then you have to like reach for like Terraform or I don't, I don't think does Terraform actually install everything on the machines. I think it does, right? Like we need Puppet or whatever, right? To get everything going. And that's, that's all another hassle, right? So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying with Kubernetes is useless and you should not use Kubernetes, but I mean, just that's, that's what I meant earlier when I was trying to hint at like this whole expert thing. You, Alan, already learned how to use Kubernetes. You already learned how to set up Kubernetes. You already learned how to get it running. But if you're standing there and like you have this application and you want to get it run somewhere and you don't know Kubernetes, you don't know service, you don't know anything, then Kubernetes is a whole lot of complexity you have to first grasp to actually get productive with it. But if you already know it, then sure, it's a, it's a tool in your tool belt and you can use it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you don't, then the gap between actually having the finished artifact, be it a Docker container or whatever, and actually getting it to run is a lot bigger with Kubernetes, like the knowledge gap, compared to, for example, deploying it to Heroku. And that's like what... what push the PaaS services, the push as a services is really amazing. Like yeah, like days or whatever, right? All these other ones. Those are really great, right? That's what I like to have. Just here's my code, run the damn thing. I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. I also feel like, for example, going from Heroku and then maybe like to Fly.io with Docker containers or to render, and then maybe to at some point to Kubernetes, it's like a, it feels like a natural progression where it's like, okay, maybe I opt into more complexity and more complexity because our needs have become more complex. But mm -hmm. from the get go, if you don't know Kubernetes, it's probably not the right tool for the job. <laughs> but if you already yeah, do because yeah. of past experience, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's when you need it, it's good to be there, to have that tool that tool available when you need it. But it's not something that you should start with. Uh, even if you think you are going to grow to be the next unicorn, it's not something that you should start with because it's still in time from, I don't know, if you are a small startup and you need to develop, you will be still in time from developing the features that your users are going to pay for it just to dedicate to build something uh, that can scale to a lot of users that are not yet there. So you are risking uh, serving the current user in hopes to have a lot of millions of users in the future. So yeah, at some point you will need it and it's good that it's there. And, and, but at the beginning, I also think that you could just launch with a smaller or simpler architectures. And with Elixir, it's, it's quite easy right now too to do it uh, without needing Kubernetes or Terraform or some other uh, advanced technologies. Yeah, next to that, I think at the end of the day, probably the rule of thumb would be the rule of thumb. Yeah, great. The rule of thumb is to say, okay, what of these options brings you to air quote market the quickest, right? Like what's the simplest thing you can go with right now? And maybe for your particular situation with your particular knowledge, that might be Kubernetes, but for a lot of people that probably isn't. And just look, okay, what, what are my needs right now? And what's like the simplest thing I can do right now to get this deployed and choose that. And like yeah. a lot of people have a lot of experience with actually managing service because they've done that privately for ages. And then that could be the simplest thing for them. And a lot of people have experience with Kubernetes and then that's the simplest thing for them. So yeah, it depends as usually. <laughs> it depends. But I would actually like to go into a different topic unless you have to want to add anything to that. And that is 
if you've learned any like common pitfalls when deploying Elixir Miguel, like because he did jump through a whole of, of hosts to get it deployed here and there and so forth. But is there like maybe like a story around typical things which go wrong and you need to look out for? Yeah, let me see. Let me see what was uh, common. One thing that is hard to think about from the beginning is that you don't when you start. Doing a project, you don't uh, think about it, about uh, how to uh, inject information that shouldn't be in the code. For example, uh, API keys or environment variables or some information that should that depend on the environment you are deploying it. You don't start writing code and say, uh, saying, okay, I'm going to start this environment. No, you just write it there and put it. So you have to uh, start refactoring and extracting this and you need to be adapting your deployment uh, setup to or now to provide that information as a step of your deployment. So that's something that is complicated and uh, it's not quite easy to do because it's not standardized in the different services. If you are deploying with Mix, uh, maybe you need to set up a .emb file in your in your machine that you run before starting the Mix, the mix task. Uh, just that setups the required environment variables. Uh, in other uh, services, you need to go to the UI dashboard and enter one by one each of these environment uh, variables, and then do a test deploy and see if the app starts. And then you will see if you didn't miss anything. With others that are, I think, better, you can do this using a command line uh, tool. Maybe you can script that uh, in your local machine and just uh, push all the all the uh, all the environment variables. also this is something that is kind of hard right now to do it uh, correctly but uh, it's just a matter of uh, doing it one and again and again and again until you have the, the app running but it's something you don't think uh, from the beginning and when, once you have it you have a lot of things can inject to the application while it is running what else uh, the docker files sometimes are tricky uh, you you can make them very optimized if you put the steps in the correct order if you it's as all the tools if you use it correctly it's quite cool but if you don't know what you are doing and maybe just copying uh, from you can have a very slow image building processes because you are redoing and redoing and rebuilding things that you shouldn't be doing so that's uh, something that is also uh, kind of complicated. The good thing is that you only need to do it once and then unless you are completely uh, changing uh, how do you build your application, you don't need to, to modify it uh, ever again. So it's it's quite easy once you get it the first time. So I think those were the main uh, problems I had uh, when uh, writing this or when exploring this uh, deploying Elixir. I haven't uh, yet seen what are the problems when you deploy to, to bare metal or uh, in AWS or Azure or, or some other big, I don't know, Google Cloud Platform, because those the, the thing that I fear most about those are the the UIs that they have. Uh, those are I don't know super hard for me to understand, and, and I don't understand how do they work and the permissions. And so I I guess that those will be more difficult to set up uh, correctly. Uh, I I fear that. Uh, when I, uh, if I write about those, I will put a lot of disclaimers at the beginning of the, of the articles of, or of the chapter, saying, okay, this is the way I did. I don't, uh, I cannot assure you that you are not having 
security issues if you are setting your uh, credentials your permissions your roles correctly because there are people that dedicate their whole professional life just to configure those services so it's i am not going to learn that in one month to, to say with very uh, expert voice yes this is the way I, I will just do it and put a disclaimer because that is is complicated and, and but has nothing to do with the literally just the the platform so that, those are the the things that i found while writing these these articles okay do you think that for special this whole secret management stuff that there is anything like missing yet in Elixir or maybe in the ecosystem to make that easier? I don't think there is something missing. I think uh, it has already all the tools needed to have a very secure, well-managed secret environment. So you can just use the, the secrets manager of the, the platform that you are using. That platform will provide them as environment variables and, and Elixir can very easily right now just read them. So I, I don't think that there is now a problem with that. With that. No, maybe. Then maybe to extend the question based based on what you've learned while setting up different different platforms to deploy, is there, is there anything in that process you think is missing from the ecosystem or you would like maybe even to see in the in the core language akin to how like mixed release was added, right? And akin to how the runtime.ex was added. Is there anything you found like Typical, like a typical thing, maybe which you had to write again and again and again, which could help people to streamline that experience even more. Mm, no, I think uh, one thing that uh, a lot of us have complained or have uh, faced is the when you have to install Erlang uh, directly in a machine is uh, and you have to compile the the binaries of Erlang. A lot of times it doesn't work uh, because some libraries missing in the operating system or, or some, uh, I don't know, some flag you need to set so that the architecture or something uh, makes it uh, work. But from some time ago, I have been using ASDF uh, to install the, the versions and I just try to, to use the most, not, not the very, re the most recent because uh, those always have some issues, but maybe one version before. And those have super uh, good support. They are very well uh, tested and, and super, uh, they work. So that that has helped a lot. But before using that, when I use Brew, for example, in Mac to install Erlang or Elixir, uh, a 50-50 chance of uh, having it uh, work correctly. And if you have to upgrade a uh, Brew, it broke so with with ASDF uh, is is very is very good now so uh, maybe the 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 dependencies is the, the main thing uh, that is i don't know maybe need some uh, love to to make it work but it's not something that uh, is super urgent uh, you can you can just use one version uh, not not the most recent one but uh, one previous uh, version and and it will work just just fine unless you need something from the very latest uh, release but that is most often not the case so uh, i think that will be the the last thing that is missing that uh, for elixir to work you can uh, with all the changes that elixir has has gone through the through the last years I think they have ironed a lot of uh, issues that uh, the language or the tools, the tooling had, had. 
and, and now they are gone. So uh, you can even use Elixir as a scripting language and install uh, directly in the same script without the need to generate a, a binary or something. So that's super cool because you can use it for uh, shell scripting. And the live view also, even if it's not in the, still not in the version one, it's amazing what, what they are doing. It's, it's super cool. It's one of the things I want to learn next because I haven't used it. Used it but uh, it is quite cool. So I think they, they are progressing a lot of a lot of different domains at the same time and very fast. So it's a, a very good option to, to start a new project or a new startup or, or to build systems right now. It has all the all the needed tools and they are super, uh, very modern and very easy to use. So I think it is a good option. Okay, nice. That's, that's great to hear that there's like no big, big elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you wanted to learn more about Live View and especially what's like coming there in the near future, you should actually listen to one of our recent episodes with Sophie because she goes in a lot of depth yeah. about that. I want to buy the, the book. It's still on, on beta. The, yeah, she yeah. is uh, writing with, uh, with Bruce. Uh, and Bruce, Bruce, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because that's uh, something that I want to I want to use, and, and yeah, I saw that uh, she she is uh, working on that and talking about that. Yeah, cool. like one thing I would actually like to like circle back to just what you just said, and especially exactly like installing Erlang is sometimes a bit of a hassle, and I guess that's also what you hinted at earlier, right? Like Alan with like setting up a server. Um, but one cool thing which maybe some people don't know about releases and like which is a big advantage of releases is that you have like the whole VM bundled in there, right? Like so, I mean, you need to build this release on a machine with the same architecture and everything, but a part of that in that release when you run it like you don't have erlang you don't have you don't need to have erlang installed you don't need to have elixir installed it air quotes just works unless some other things are missing <laughs> like open ssl but in general that's like a cool thing about releases so yeah just want so just here's want to a question that. yes but you're saying to set up your build server and it has to be the same as your machine but yeah basically if you if you have that but usually most people are using mac and deploying the linux or something like that but here's the other thing too Something that I'm not too sure of, like the latest OTP24 has, you have to have a C compiler, I think, in order to have the JIT. So if you don't have a C compiler on your production server, but you do on your build server, if you build your release, will it still have JIT? This one I'm not very sure about. Question. I have no idea. No idea, <laughs> <laughs> no idea either. Good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, like, I mean, for me, the whole same machine thing was never an issue because I've basically my whole time I've been doing Elixir done releases inside of... So for me, for me, the whole build server versus like uh, deployment server was never an issue because for the whole time I've been doing Elixir, it has happened in... Docker containers and Docker like uh, images, and then the, like if I think that's what you hinted at earlier, Miguel, with this more complex approach that you have like this multi-step build uh, Docker file where it's like okay, first let's build the release and then let's have a fresh image from scratch, for example, based on Alpine and just copy over the release, and then you get rid of Elixir and, and Erlang, and then it's a no-brainer like it's running over the same architecture as it's kind of a Docker container. That's it. I'm not sure if it what happens then if you try to like I don't know like run an Iron. 64 with like mac os and I, I haven't dived into that yet but i feel like that's one very very nice thing about the containers especially with like this release thing having the same server having the same architecture is just to a certain degree it abstracts that away for you so i, I wouldn't want to go without it to be honest but again if 
this is your jam and you have done it in the past, then sure, why not? But don't don't come to me and for help. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that I, I don't know really how much uh, overhead it is when you use or you have when you use uh, the containers compared to bare metal. I don't know if that is noticeable when you are having low loads on your application. Uh, maybe for I don't know if you are having a lot of uh, processing or a lot of requests per second. Maybe you will notice uh, when you are deploying uh, bare metal uh, compared to, to Docker. But it's like this 80-20 rule that you get 80% of the benefits and 20% of the effort. And for me, Docker is that you get most of the cool things, just a little overhead. And so far, I have not noticed it so i haven't had the necessity of going to the hardest uh, deployment ways to to extract that additional uh, capacity or or performance so so far for me that's has uh, that has been the 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 way or the the way when i need to decide i just go with docker yeah and i think it falls into this whole thing which that earlier with like unless you really have a use case for squeezing out the last percentage of performance then that will be very very likely good enough okay folks alan anything you would like to well, ask no i'm i'm just curious about when you deploy with docker right how do you automatically deploy that you, you can't use e-deliver or something right so how would you deploy that easy to do man like do you have like a single vps that you just ssh into and then bring down the container and then bring up a new one is that how you deploy well no for me it's uh, just to have an action for example in github a, a github action that uh, when you merge to master automatically triggers the email uh, build with the latest uh, code and uh, it triggers a deployment in render or fly.io and that will get the image that was pushed to the container registry and just will replace uh, the, the old one with a new one a new instance and that's it as the database of information is in a separate instance doesn't really matter because nothing is nothing no no state or no information is stored locally so it's just kill to kill the the old instance uh, spawn a new one just wait the, the time that it needs to to boot or to start starts up and with kubernetes should be easier the cluster or the the cloud will handle everything but uh, i have not used it uh, used it yet so for me it's just uh, merge into master and that will trigger all the all the deployment automatically what about the migrating database though i've seen your article you kind of specific list the eval right yeah that's, you that's have to remember to do that yeah that's a tricky point that's a tricky point if the most of the times if the migration is uh, straightforward for example adding new tables uh, adding columns uh, adding indexes or removing a column or something you can just run it as the first thing in your boot sequence uh, render, for example, has a, a, a specific step where it runs a deploying uh, task that you can use for things like that, like running migration. And that is not is a separate step as the booting the, the application. So you have a two-step uh, deployment, one for running uh, one command and the other to start the application. So you can use these to run the, the uh, migration. So 
by the time the application runs, uh, the, applica the migrations are already applied to the database. So that's cool. Uh, for the others, well, you have to maybe uh, very quickly connect uh, to the Docker instance and, and hit enter to some eval command to, to run the migrations. Or if you are uh, brave enough, just put it automatically on, on boot time. But it depends on if you trust that your migrations can be applied or not. And also, that uh, opens the question of what if you need to do a, roll, a rollback, uh, how do you do it? Uh, in that case, uh, this is stress because you have to connect and, and manually roll back or because there is no way to uh, to do it or there is no simple way to, to do the rollback uh, automatically depending on the on the migration. So that's a tricky question. Uh, you know, it's, it's where you start uh, looking at why did you choose this profession <laughs> and for for your life but yeah it is it is it is uh the hard part of deploying yeah from my experience there's also no easy answer to that like it completely depends on your use case um yeah. it's an unsatisfying yeah, I, answer but <laughs> i think i do about i keep finishing sorry so what i usually do now with kubernetes is that they have something called an init container oh, yeah, we, we do the same yeah. yeah so i do that for kubernetes uh That's but true. also for another client, I was deploying to Windows machine, and I think what I did was on the start call, I did the migrations, which may or may not be a good idea. Probably not, because that could, that could delay your stuff, right? So when you start your app, when you do your application uh, children kind of supervision, I start my migration there before I finally return the, the supervision. And then also for distillery, right, they have the post-start hook. Um, so for my post start hook, I've done that too, where we just run a script which does the migration. So that's kind of the three methods I usually use. And in the case of Kubernetes with the init container, uh, how does it work? So in the init container, you you run only the migrations, and if it ends yeah. uh, successfully, so mm -hmm. there's, yeah, there's two types of commands, right? There's like one if your app is running, you can run eval, I think, no RPC. Right, and then if it's not running, then you run eval. So for that one, I run eval in init container, and then I it, if that one runs properly, right, like you said, it returns zero or whatever, then the actual container will turn on. Uh, yeah, so that's how it works. But uh, what while the init container is running, the previous version of the application is still running. You have not yet shoot it. Uh, yes, yes, this so is correct. But changes, you can the changes you can well. also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can, the, the changes while the app is still thinking that it has mm -hmm. the previous version of the database. Yeah, so there's, there's 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 different types of there's different types of deployments you can also do. You can also do like scale up, so you can say scale all down, run migrations, and then scale up, or you can do rolling, where it's like okay, like slowly like change five out of fifty, and then ten out of fifty, and then slowly upgrade each single piece. So there's more than one way to do this. But yeah, like I said, this, this is exactly what I meant when I said it depends. It depends completely. We haven't even gotten into the whole notion of rolling back, right? Like, what if you actually have to do a rollback because something is horribly broken and you may, might have done a destructive even migration? Yeah, what then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no easy answers here. There are no yeah, easy answers here. Yeah, I, I think I made a video about how to do this, actually. So I have a video about how to make a Docker container from your Elixir and then also how to deploy that one to Kubernetes. And I think I may include the init container part if you want to take a look at that. Nice. Yeah, we can certainly link it in the show notes. I feel like that would be useful yeah. to a bunch of people. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or 
If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, folks, should we slowly go to picks, or is there anything you feel is left unsaid? Well, for me, it's uh, I, I uh, like uh, view is a thing that I think is very interesting right now for me. So this book uh, from Sophie Benedetto, and, and it's something that people should for sure check out. So that's something that I recommend. I, I'm going to do it in the in the next months. So I recommend that for folks. I mean, we're going to put it in the, in the show notes, but yeah, I can... think it's uh, programming Phoenix Live View. Uh, okay. State and Sophie de Benedetto. Nice. Yeah, okay, then. The then we, then we already have your pick, Miguel. What are your pick or picks, Alan? So for this week, I just have one pick, and we're back to Rust books for some odd reason. So mine is Code Like a Pro in Rust. Uh, I just went through that book, so I'm going to be uh, actually chatting with the author soon. So I thought, okay, now I have some time. Let me read his book. He's got a, it's an early release. So I think only about four chapters are done. I read all four chapters within two days, which is pretty fast for me. <laughs> Sasha, you and I are the same. We take forever to finish a book. So, But I actually managed to finish up whatever he had. So anyways, yeah, a fantastic book. If you're interested in Rust and start getting into it, I think it's super helpful for like the next level. So that's my pick. Wait, so you're supposed to finish books and don't just read the, like three quarters through and then stop for whatever reason? That's how I do it usually. Well, I looked out that there's only four to 12 chapters finished, so it was easy <laughs> to, to not go on. Okay. So my pick this week is actually like a, it's a book slash workshop thing. Like it's an institute and they have a book and they have a workshop and it's called Search Inside Yourself. And I did that last week and it's an emotional intelligence and leadership workshop. And I felt that was super super valuable it was a two-day workshop thing it was in this case paid for by my by my employer but it's something i'm definitely going to carry me i'm pretty sure for the rest of my life so i feel like i learned a lot of very valuable things there and i feel you should check them out because they have a lot of very interesting things to say uh, and it's also like it's not just nitty-gritty touchy-feely stuff but um they a lot of what they say is like based on studies and neuroscience and other kind of things so it's um, very, very much rooted in rationality and real world science. So yeah, that's my, my pick for this week. Nice. Thank you. Okay, folks. Then it was great having you on the show, Miguel. Thank you very much for having me. And if people want to reach you, like wh where can they do that? I am on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, the main place where you can find me. Uh, Twitter, uh, my handle is Miguel Coba underscore. And uh, also my uh, website, miguelcoba.com. You can find links there from all the my, my places in the internet. But the main uh, place where I am uh, constantly is Twitter. So you can find me there. Right, nice. Then, yeah, thanks again for being on the show. And for everybody else, tune in next time when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.